Welcome to Lift Their Voices, a podcast series presented by Roots of American Music in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. This podcast series seeks to celebrate important historical figures from marginalized communities and highlight local artists. Roots of American Music, also known as Rome, is a nonprofit established in 1999 based in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Rome integrates music and education in Northeast Ohio to create vibrant communities through art and vibrant art through community. More information on Rome and ways for you to support can be found at rootsofamericanmusic.org. There's a secret and I am the keeper and no one needs to know her real name. It's from her day and he is no longer here and she will never, ever, ever be the same. Sometimes you have to face the truth that you have inside your dear, dark, deep secret light. There's a road and you have to choose if you go down it and on it tonight. And I know you... Mikey Thanks so much, Brian. So we're going to start in 1939. On a Scorpio day of November 14th, a beautiful future composer named Wendy Carlos was born. Uh, Wendy Carlos is from Rhode Island and would grow up fascinated with music and just getting to know themselves as a person and followed that all the way to New York City, where they attended graduate school at Columbia University. Uh, They studied music, composition, But most importantly, Wendy Carlos, who we're now gonna call the godmother of electronic music. Um, Wendy Carlos uh, just kind of was in the right place at the right time, at the right moment in history, and was able to meet very influential people at a time when digital machine-made music was starting to come into the collective consciousness of American music. It seems kind of, I have a keyboard right here, Thanks to my good friend, Tyler Ray. Thank you so much for the keyboard today. Um, And the keyboard is something we just easily just sort of take for granted these days. It was very mind boggling back then to think of a keyboard creating sounds, especially sounds that did not sound like a piano. So Wendy Carlos was in sort of this avant-garde community, very learned in terms of composition, um, classical music, jazz music obsessed with it and just had a profound understanding of the way instruments work together, the way acoustics develop sound. And Wendy met a gentleman named Robert Moog. Uh, Robert Moog is responsible for really creating a digital sound on a keyboard. So try not to get too into the specifics because honestly, I had to do a little bit of a crash course myself in, in electronic music. Um, I'm so used to just turning it on and just going with it. I didn't have to think about it, but Wendy Carlos thought about it. A lot of times people sometimes will say uh, electronic music doesn't have the same soul as, as, as a guitar or as a full orchestra. Wendy Carlos also thought the same thing. So with working with Robert Moog, who was very influential in bringing this electronic music into this sort of forefront, worked with him on creating functionalities that we now know as portamento control, a fixed filter bank, oscillator, polyphonic generators, chords, arpeggiating, a lot of the things that you could just kind of hit a button and the the keyboard will just go. 
Wendy Carlos was very influential in building that. So to give you an example of kind of what Wendy was doing with this machine, a lot of times these electronic music boxes would just sort of make a sound. It would sound without any type of dynamic, no, no decay, no subtlety to it. I think one thing we, if you ever looked at a piece of classical music, the dynamics are clearly written into the score. Uh, mezzo piano, subito. You know, so these, these, different, these different things that we could do with our hands, hold a note out, hit it with a fever. You just couldn't do that with electronic instruments at that time. So Wendy would do, and there's some really fabulous videos of Wendy playing on these Moogs and showing how she developed these different functionalities. So if you imagine you have a note and you want to create something that has overtones, which are sort of uh, like an overcast of other sounds that we hear, but it's a little out of control. And maybe you have an upper, an upper tone going. Wendy Carlos found a way to unify these sounds or control them so you can get more of a, and it would come out as a single tone. Um, so that's some of the more technical side of, of what would end up becoming a tremendous instrument that artists like Stevie Wonder, the Beatles would start to pick up. So we're, we're talking about the late 60s, early 70s at this point. Wendy was living in New York City and was so fascinated with this, was building studios, was working in music, was creating jingles on these new synthesizers. It was also recreating some of the music that Wendy fell in love with that brought Wendy to music, which was classical pieces, notably Bach. It's hard to talk about Wendy Carlos, not mention Rachel Elkind, who was a musical partner and friend that she made in New York City at the time. And Rachel would talk to Wendy and say, you know, this is really cool, you know, this is awesome, but no one's gonna get this. I mean, to us today, we see a synthesizer, we hear arpeggiating and stuff. It makes sense to us at that time, it was very taboo. So Rachel told Wendy, you know what you're gonna have to do is take something that people know already, reshape it with the Moog, allow it to sort of be a familiar instrument in a familiar capacity, and bring that to the table. Now, we're talking about 1968, 1969, where we still have some madman energy out there. You know, it was hard for women to get their foot in the door. And shout out to National International Women's Day. All the women out there, here, there, everywhere. Mom on the live stream, what's up? <laughs> um, so they found their way into Columbia Records and ended up getting a deal off of an album that Wendy made. Wendy made an album called Switched on Bach. Which, which I learned in my research, uh, Wendy referred to as the SOB. <laughs> but switched on Bach, Wendy took a very archaic version of this Moog and the synthesizer, which had very limited functions at this time, and made it function in the way that an orchestra sounded and recreated these Bach classics with a whole orchestral feel, note by note, sound by sound, recreating all the different instruments in an orchestra. And you're talking about very meticulous. And now it's not just like I get to hit this button and something happens. Wendy was wiring, switching this, doing that. Can we get a little bit of a dynamic switch here? Note by note, bit by bit. And the other thing that's kind of funny was the early, earlier versions of the instruments didn't have a tuning feature in it. So they would often go out of tune. So once it got out of tune, the whole, the whole line was scrapped. So for about five months, 40 hours a week, on top of working in another job, 
Wendy created this switched on Bach album and concept in their home studio. Rachel and Wendy then took this record to Columbia Records, which at the time, this is funny, had a campaign called Bach to Rock, but they had no actual Bach in their contemporary catalog at this time. So it was kind of good timing there, you know, oh sure, but it was a low risk for Columbia Records because the record was completed already. So they walked out with a good little deal, royalties and everything. Um, this album was released and ended up winning three Grammy Awards. So not only was it the first time we heard electronic music in a popular sense, but to go into the classical musical world, win classical album of the year, engineering award, and forgive me, the third one escapes me right now, but she did her thing. <laughs> so that put it into, into a more public sphere. Wendy would then sort of move into a more prolific role of creating film scores. Anyone here of Clockwork Orange? You ever remember the scene where they play Beethoven and the eyes are open really big and they're scared? This movie scared me when I was little. I remember this much of it. <laughs> I was like, I can't watch it, but he's so pretty. Um, the, um, Wendy created uh, these versions for that score. So we're putting now this electronic music into a more viable commercial realm as well. So Wendy's just pushing the barriers, pushing the ball forward, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Um, would then go on to do some work for The Shining. There's some other things too, you know, some weird deals and stuff that happen. Basically, Wendy ended up getting her comeuppance when Disney hired her to do the, the score for Tron. Um, so really moving into a world where she's being successful at this point. Just fantastic work for Wendy. Throughout this time, Wendy also was developing more and more patches and more and more ability and range for these instruments. And the popularity was getting to such a place where Wendy was now in the public eye a little bit more. Now there's one thing I didn't mention about Wendy that I don't think, if Wendy were here, obviously I haven't had the privilege to meet Wendy. But if you go to their website, the first thing they say is, please be aware of the biography just released on me. It belongs on the fiction shelf. <laughs> so, so Wendy's sassy, but Wendy was very protective of their, uh, her identity. Um, Wendy was transgendered, was a woman who was transgendered, had a reassignment surgery in the late 60s. Could you imagine? I mean, my goodness. Just brave, bravery, bravery. And obviously that is a very tough thing to be in the world today, let alone 1972, 75, 79. And Wendy was a little reclusive and didn't really go out into the public's like, uh, sphere that often. But in an effort to sort of come to terms and to come out, Wendy met with Arthur Bell, a playboy, to do an exclusive interview about Wendy's music. I personally think that probably wasn't the best person to go to, to, to do an interview um, where you want your music talked about. But nonetheless, um, Arthur Bell uh, ended up sort of betraying the, the agreement that they had and wrote primarily about Wendy's sex reassignment. And obviously that really puts you into a position where you start to become defensive about the narrative of your life, what people control, what the perception of you is, let alone being known for that instead of the work that you've done to advance new technology, to make it accessible, to make it relatable, all these things on top of just being a, a massively intelligent composer, massively intelligent um, scientist when it comes to acoustics, 
there's a video um, on a YouTube page. Forgive me, I don't have the exact reference off the top of my head. But recreating a xylophone sound and just the ability to go and understand where each of these pitches were for these overtones, how to actually make it sound like the mallet's hitting it and putting a little bit of fringe into the sound so it has that, that more gritty feel to it. It's, it was mind-blowing. Mind I have a buddy who's, who has a whole setup in his, in his room. I, I love you, Mark, but I have no idea what you're talking about most of the time. <laughs> but after researching Wendy Carlos, I think I could hang just a little bit longer. <laughs> um, Wendy would go on to create some really fabulous albums in the 80s, and these are important because we started to hear a little bit more range come out of what Wendy was producing. Now, in American music, Western music, we have this idea where we divided the scale and these intervals into very even, predictable patterns. So we have half steps, primarily. And we tend to base, we tend to break our sound up into octaves, which is, so if you ever sang in choir or anything, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. That's, that's kind of a Western idea when it comes to just uh, uh, of a tonal range or a mode, if you will. Um, Wendy started to play around with different concepts around uh, modes and different intervals and programmed a lot of this into the work and the instruments that she was making. And in some of these albums in the 80s, you really hear some of these more non-traditional to us, typically as Americans, influence coming in. So again, just kind of rewriting and bending and twisting our concept of what it means to be to have a traditional sound. So Wendy really did a lot of great things, just really persevering and going through being a genius, but also being someone who had something to hide most of their life. We're talking about showing up on, on talk shows with fake mustaches drawn on their face, fake sideburns taped on them so they could appear more manly until they were ready to really fully embrace themselves in the public image. Um, so I think something a lot of us can relate to as artists or just people today is that desire to control the narrative that is our life, our music, our art, our own Wendy. And respectively, you know, needing that trust to be reflected back with us, with the world around us. And she kind of lost that, that faith. She recoiled, shied away from public appearances, including performing, from what I could read, only a couple public performances not appearances, but performances, and working in the Moog and all this other um, more technical avant-garde sounds that she ended up shaping, becoming very influential in. She was also just a normal person. She liked astrology. I love astrology. We can talk about her Scorpio self a little bit later. Um, she liked animals. You know, all these, she's just a well-rounded person and was just so fearful of being labeled as the transgendered person. Yeah even afraid to be labeled as the one who wrote SOB, Switched on Bach. You know, wanting to be known for so much more. Um, so I wrote a song, uh, not entirely this time. Part of it was written already, but, and then Brian, if you could make me sound nice and saucy out there, that'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. I wrote a song that I feel like really reflects looking for answers outside of yourself. Welcome to a sad, 
sad story About a sun that had nowhere to set Always rising over horizons over yonder But the sun had nowhere to set Left home, went off to college I thought I knew how to take care of myself I turned into my only mother's wish Not to be it From there, search for something better In the hours when everyone else is just asleep I believe the party's early As the man who let them wipe their feet I have so many secrets Afraid I'll take some of them to my grave I went through friends like the wind goes through the trees And all and all went flying all by me I tried to find some deeper meaning Like the sun, I have no final page And the years, they get kinda ugly I was hanging out for all just to see Question marks hang from the branches Every time I went down that long road now This is a song about ascension And what happens when you search for deeper meaning So just keep on believing Stars were destined to tell him oh, how you do change the world. But first, you know, it starts with me. Then the road gets very narrow. There was no way he could ever go back Forward, hard, forward, moving, I got my spirit Even though my body's failing rather fast 
I keep in touch with angels' voices Telling me everything's okay Keep doing what you're doing And be who you are So I'm out here I'm trying my best not to worry That the best days I've had is all it was inside a basement Feeling locked up inside and everyone else is just looking in Was it you? Was it him? Was it her? Was it my lover? The one who never said she did George Blake. Uh, I am a board member at Roots of American Music. And I'm going to start off our interview here tonight with Mikey um, by reading the mission statement of Rome. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, so Roots of American Music integrates music and education in Northeast Ohio to create vibrant communities through art and vibrant art through community. Mikey, could you say a little bit about what some of those words mean to you? Community, art, Northeast Ohio, how do those work together for you? I feel like all of those are a conversation. They're all ways that we grow and exchange and learn and build with each other, whether it's through storytelling, through understanding where someone's coming from. And I feel like Northeast Ohio is a special place for that, having been born in Cleveland Heights and growing up here um, and living elsewhere for a period of time. Just knowing when you come back here, it's just... There's a realness here that you just don't really find anywhere else. And that does reverberate through the art community. Um, and I find myself a lot of times within that community at intersections where it's multidisciplinary. And when you get into those safe spaces, you learn a lot by just being teachable. So I feel like there's an element of communication, learning, and exchange that happens that is unique to the Northeast Ohio area specifically too. And so could you say a little bit about your work with open mics, open stages, these kinds of things? For sure. When I moved back to Cleveland, I went to school for musical theater and did theater for a while. Uh, music was always my first love. I taught myself how to play piano at a young age off of old Lionel Richie tunes. You <laughs> couldn't tell me nothing was better than a Lionel Richie song. And so coming back to um, Cleveland, I really found myself looking for that community and the open mics is what I gravitated towards. And I could say my life would be nothing without the open mics. Uh, I remember uh, when I moved back to Cleveland, I had a, you know, my, I didn't have a lot of options going for me at the time. I didn't really know a lot of people here. I'd never really lived in Cleveland as an adult prior. But I knew to go to the open mics because I'd gone to a couple before in Chicago and found that sense of 
I guess, connection, community, those things we were talking about. And met some of my very best friends that I'm still friends with in a band with today. And I also see having gone from performing and going to the open mics uh, to hosting the events and creating those types of spaces with other people have seen the way other artists have grown and connected with their craft. And even in the span of a few months, watching a song develop and become much tighter and the rhythms coming much more in technical things like that, but seeing the confidence that people gain from building connection and also hearing their work echoed off of other people. And to have that in sort of a forum, in a place where that is okay to experiment and to find out who you are is a special thing. And I think open mics and um, open stages, whether it's a jam night or singer-songwriter night, gives a lot of opportunities that otherwise just aren't readily available. It sounds like you're doing something at Crowbar and at Coda? Yeah, uh, so Crowbar is a, it's a, a, an underground club. And it's, uh, I want to say it's if you know, you know. So I don't want you to know too much. You know what I'm saying? You can come talk to me a little bit about it. Because it is a place that we hold as, as a safe space where um, it's not a gay bar, it's not a straight bar, it's not a hip-hop club, it's not a dance club. It's, it's on any given night, it's whoever's there is what it is. So I was there one time and a unicorn walked in. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be tonight. <laughs> But, but it's a great place where I, feel, I see a lot of different mediums of music uh, being expressed and celebrated by people who don't normally listen to that type of music. And like game is recognizing game, talent, seeing talent, good people are seeing good people. And so I see a lot of that coming out of Crowbar. And Coda is like one of those throw it down, there's a back line, people have a good time. So you really see the full range of what music can bring to, to life, whether it's like friendship, uh, growth, or just having a good time. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, well, I, on that listening note, um, I mean, I think I, I'd love to ask you a little bit about your own process of listening. And I have this kind of Wendy Carlos connection where, you know, she talks about how one of the things she was doing was maybe pushing a little bit against um, some modernist composers who were really into this require, like really concentrated, lengthy listening. And then some of the work she was doing, um, she talks about how instead it's like enlarge every each gesture and slow the pace. So for them, for, for her, there's this thing of like switching into a different mode of listening that's maybe not a kind of really formal intensive listening to this that was kind of breaking with the thing. So could you just say a little bit about your own experiences? It sounds like you were listening to Lionel Richie. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about uh, if, it. If you could say something about, you know, maybe your own process of listening to something where you like turn it up and then maybe you repeat it again. Just, hey, there like, you go, George. <laughs> just like what what are some of the ways in which you've you've kind of gotten into to listening and and made it meaningful to you? Well, you certainly were listening, weren't you? <laughs> uh, I think there's, um, I mean, I think listening, to be honest, is something I could do a lot better of a job doing. You know, I think one of the things I've been trying to practice more daily is to wake up and think, what can I learn today? You know, I'm not going to learn talking about what I already think I know. <laughs> so I think that the, I think that there's a lot of ways you could listen to somebody. Sometimes it's not about what they're saying, but it's how they feel. It's what their energy is. And 
being open and understanding and giving patience, that room for people to be themselves. It's the thing where if you listen to other people, they're going to listen to you. So it's, it kind of falls into that, what you give, you get. And then I think we're always communicating. We're always sending signals. We're always trying to connect and attract what we want in our life to us. And there's a value in stillness and a value in just being present. And I think that's at the end of the day, sometimes we don't got a lot of money to give people. Sometimes we don't have all the answers to give somebody, but we can be available and we can be present and we can just be there with them. And I think that falls in that category of listening and especially in those type of community spaces, meeting people where they are on that day. And I believe my friend Love Freely said something earlier about when you meet that person on that day, you're never going to meet them that same way again. You know, to be to be open to receive what that what the universe is kind of putting in your path in that moment is it's this idea of what like uh, they say a, an idea for a song is flying in the wind, and if it gets you, you gotta catch it. Otherwise, it's gonna keep on going. So these moments and these people that come through our lives, you know, you gotta be there when they're there because they may just go on past you. So I think listening and just being present with people and finding that also in the music that you create and the art that you make allows it to be relatable to a certain degree where it is accessible. And so I think what we give other people, we also get in our art as well, uh, especially when it comes to songwriting. And the more you listen, the more stories you have, the more perception you could bring to your work. say a little bit about maybe what you learned by, I don't know if it's comparison with Chicago about Northeast Ohio or, or kind of, I, I know you were here and then you went there and then you came back. And is there anything that you kind of found anew when you returned here? For me, it was like getting a blank page handed to you and you're given a, a piece of paper and you're told, write down how you want your life to be. What, 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 do, you want, what do you want your life to look like? And I feel like in Cleveland, there's a lot more of that space to create that list, but to also be in a world where people are receptive and listening for that. A place like Chicago, which can shrink down very quickly. Um, it's very busy. There's lots of stuff going on. And if you don't find your community, you don't find your people, you can really get sucked into a whole different life. You know, you can get sucked into a job you don't want to do. You can get sucked into a routine that's not healthy for you. And I feel like coming back to Cleveland, I was able to slow down, but also see some of that, that wealth that's in community, um, in a diverse community, in a big community, even though it's spread out a little bit. Um, Cleveland has all those bells and whistles that Chicago has, but it has a little bit more accessibility when it comes to um, recreating your life if you want to. So that's kind of the value I found coming back uh, to Cleveland and um, I think something we talk about in the band Apostle Jones and just kind of everyday life is just gratitude. And Cleveland has always been very open-minded and very gracious to me. So I love to try to feed that back to the city as well. And I feel like uh, Cleveland is just one of those cities that, that gets down with that. We're looking for that opportunity to show people that we care, that we're here for them. And I think that, well, I think that will follow you wherever you go. I think Cleveland, I think we're all more on the same page with that. 
Yeah, so if I can bring up a Wendy Carlos deep cut, um, in the 80s, she did a record with Weird Al Yankovic, Peter and the Wolf. Uh, and so, you know, and I, and I think one of the, one of the titans there for me is that, you know, there's, uh, Weird Al is one of my accordion icons. Oh, nice. Uh, and, uh, and in terms of like, you know, the history of Cleveland, it has all these layers, all these genres, the Cleveland style Poker Hall of Fame is in Cleveland. There's this interesting accordion thing. Um, Apostle Jones has been called rock, soul, blues. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about genre and maybe any kinds of, have you encountered some of the older folks of, of genres who've been part of the Cleveland scene? And So genre is something that I, like personally, I shy away from. Because mm-hmm. um, to me, you could, whatever you're doing, it could be whatever it is. But if it doesn't have the right connection, the right feeling, the right energy behind it, it could be, it could be spaghetti. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I feel like the one of the things we embrace in Apostle Jones, I feel is, is unique. I will I'll caveat, I do feel very weird talking about the band in this capacity just because um, I, I do like to just let things be what they are sometimes. But one of the things we do talk about is, we, we hope this reflects back how we see the city as well. We all come in the band, which is nine, nine people big at this moment. We all bring different experiences, musical paths, whatever we grew up listening to, whatever we're listening to now. And somehow or another, because none of us are worried about it has to sound like this, it has to feel like this or whatever, it, it works and it's its own thing. So um, I like the idea of being uh, genre fluid, style bending, because um, really it's not even about what we think the music is. It's about what, what the people that we are performing it with and for, how they're receiving it. And if, it, if it's a rock and roll song and they're feeling the spirit from that, let it be a rock song. If it's a gospel number, let, let it be the Lord. You know, what, what, whatever it is, you know, we just, we see music as just that, that, that medium that transcends language, that transcends expectation. And um, uh, one of the trumpet players in our band, Eric Levine, um, says, you know, if you treat the music right, it will treat you right back. I'm thinking that maybe this is, it's been probably 19 years since I saw you last at Cleveland Heights High School. Let's talk about it. Um, Actually, let's not talk about it. (laughs) We can not talk about that. But could you, you know, I think it sounds like you've got um, a a recording coming out with one of my classmates, Donald Malloy. Yeah, Donald Malloy, Wave Magnetic. Could you say a little bit about that? What's what's coming? This is another thing where music in Cleveland is so special. You know, uh, I mean, Cleveland Heights High School, we had anywhere from like 1,500 to 2,000 kids at the school, you know, and to be able to reconnect with, with old classmates uh, years later because you're both doing music still and you both believe it, I think is a credit to Cleveland Heights High School and the people in Cleveland Heights who kept putting those levies through so we could have those arts programs at that, at that public school there. I think in Cleveland Heights, we also learned how to create our own opportunities how to work with each other. And to see that years later, working with Wave and the beautiful Rowan uh, on a single that we have coming out is, I didn't really pause to think about it that much, George, but it's pretty fantastic. It really is kind of awesome, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think the founder of Rome is also a Cleveland Heights grad from like a different generation. There's, JPM? You know, no, no, it's a different, uh, oh. b- before that. Oh, just, before that, oh, yeah, back yeah, in the before, day. Before that, right? yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, there's there's lots of layers to Cleveland Heights, and um, it's an it's a it's a really rich musical community. It's absolutely what I found and very formative for my own experience. Um, yeah, so I guess just if we can close out, so you've got something coming out with Wave Magnetic. Could you say a little bit about? Um, I think you're going to do something at Cleveland Public Theater as an actor. And yeah. Some, some, what are some of the other things that we can look forward to? Oh, well, th- well thank you for asking. Um, like I said, it's hard for me to talk about those things out loud for some reason. I don't know what it is, but uh, one of these days I'll figure it out. Um, no, I'm really excited. I haven't done a... So I went to school, college for a theater, musical theater. It was one of the outlets that I found accessible to music for me. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really have a lot of people that I knew that were forming bands and writing songs. Just the universe put me on that path. And so it's nice to kind of go back and reclaim some of those theater roots and doing it in Cleveland at a theater that I grew up going to, just having the most respect for. And it's kind of a cool thing, just trying to keep diversified, keep growing as an artist, and again, remaining teachable, listening to the stories, showing up, not knowing everything, wanting to learn a little bit more. Um, That's something the theater really taught me and something I'm excited to go back into. Um, It's also allowing Apostle Jones to have the chance to work on our structure, our recording, some of the stuff that's not as, you know, not as attractive as like a cool song and a big stage and big lights and stuff. You know, we're getting down to the nitty gritty and we're trying to build that structure that allows us to create freely and allows us to uh, grow together as a group. And so, those are, it's kind of a boring answer, I feel like, but that's something I'm really looking forward to, that structure. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of that available and just getting a lot of experience with recording and collaborating. I did my first sync licensing uh, song recently where I wrote the song, went and recorded it, actually with another, <laughs> another Heights person as well, which we found out after the fact. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to look forward to. I think the summer is going to be a blast for the city. I feel like last year was a little manic for all of us as everything kind of reopened at once. So I think this year we're all going to settle in and have a beautiful summer filled with music and those things, those buzzwords, community, art, stories, reconnection. Hey, sorry. Hey, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I think one of Wendy Carlos's albums, I think, Switched on Bach, it took her 1,100 hours to make that album. So, uh, you know, she, she definitely, and she, as you said, she was working a day job while she was doing that. Right. And earlier you also kind of mentioned a musical economy in Cleveland. Um, yeah. How, how do you think about, you know, this kind of creative labor that you're doing? Is it, um, do you do what you love and you're not working or are you working and you're doing what you love or how do you, how does that work in your mind? My mind is a very confused place sometimes. (laughs) No, it's uh, it's inspiring is what it is. You know, it's um, just when you just when you think you wrote the best song, the next one's coming. Just when you think you played your favorite show, there's another show. Um, and I think it is uh, anything that's worth it is going to take a little little grind and a little sacrifice. And growth in those elements are not easy. You know, so do I love that part? Not necessarily. <laughs> But, but do I love how I feel when it comes together and you put the work in and it's earned? Uh, that's, uh, that's special. Yeah. You know, it's something that no one can take away from you. All right. So I think we could see Apostle Jones at the Grog Shop on April 6th. April opening, 6th. Yeah, uh, as an opening act. Also, it sounds like you have something going on at BMI at the New York State. Craft yeah. Uh, Apostle Jones, we've been 
uh, the universe again, uh, kind of put us in the path with BMI and we've been repping them at conferences around the country, promoting uh, businesses to take the performing arts seriously and to help artists get paid for the songs and the music that they create. Um, so we've been fortunate to work with them. We're heading to New York at the end of the month. And then uh, coming back to play for the Grog Shop with Combo Jimbita from Columbia, okay. uh, who played here at Ingenuity last year. They're a fantastic group, and it's a real honor to open for them. Well, thanks so much, Mikey. Thanks for talking with Rome. Thanks, George. Where county stars, they are falling. You gotta ride one if you can. And if you feel a little crazy, well, surely you could understand These faded choices left you lonely Oh, who's looking at me now? You see them all, they are hungry And they are climbing up the wall been listening to Lift Their Voices, a podcast series presented by Roots of American Music in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. To learn more about Roots of American Music and support our work, please visit rootsofamericanmusic.org. Thanks to our featured artist, Mikey Silas. To learn more about Mikey and listen to his music, visit mikeysilas.bandcap.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-S-I-L-A-S.com. Special thanks to Ohio Arts Council and Cuyahoga County Arts and Culture for their continued support. Today's episode was produced by Morgan McCaskey. It was recorded by Morgan McCaskey and Brian Kennard. Post-production engineering by Dave Douglas. Contains original music by Mikey Silas. I'm your host, George Blake. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds. 
two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!